0: A policy level. I mean that there should be very strong politi- policies to support Aboriginal children. It doesn't matter which nation, uh, Aboriginal nation, they come from, but uh, to provide resources and sources for them uh, so that they can keep that connection to to their language and culture and and, and their nation.
1: What do you mean by resources and sources?
0: Well uh teachers for example Mm -hmm. um i mean these children should have access to to let's say if they're a cree child uh in uh in a foster home I, i believe that there should be policy for that child to be able to have access to a cree speaking person you know within within the town or district or whatever wherever they come from right uh wherever they're living and the resources available in terms of human resources, uh, knowledge keepers, language speakers, uh, materials written by Aboriginal people, and we know that there's a lot of material written by Aboriginal people across this country. There's a strong movement within the arts and literature for Aboriginal people here in Canada. And, uh, you know, seldom do these children or... or uh, People who are the caretakers of these children really know of these resources and can actually identify them because they don't have, you know, um, people to guide them towards those resources and and whatnot.
1: Well, congratulations on your latest book. Can you share us some poetry, uh, maybe perhaps the one that you mentioned earlier? Sure.
0: Sure. I have one about my grandchildren, and since we're talking about children, I'd love to share that one. Okay. Okay okay and i call it grandchildren it goes like this grandchildren are full of endless questions grandpa how did the bear walk on you how did the sun set on your arm where's the moon when it is snowing my answers are never the same and i forget how i've answered them before it's nighttime i say close your eyes and go to sleep. But grandpa, you know I always sleep with my eyes open. Grandchildren see the world in full color and taste the sound of every word they are told. So that's a, a little dedication to my own grandchildren.
1: Beautiful dedication.
0: Thank you, thank
1: you. And do you have any poetry within your book that may, um, maybe uses some language?
0: That
1: uses um, my language, language. language? How do you say that? Swapnok? Yeah. That's hard to say. It
0: is. It's a tough... Um, I do, but I have to scroll through my book.
1: Okay, go ahead. Yesterday, I said Swapnok. But it's Swapnok. Swapnok. Yeah. That's hard to say. Yeah. we're speaking with Gary Godfritson. He is from Kamloops, and we're talking about his up-and-coming launch of a book that he just recently um, published through Ronsdale Press, and it's called "Chaos and Chaos Inside Thunderstorms." Inside storm, inside Thumb- thunderstorms.
0: Yeah. So, this poem here actually has a few so-up words in there, and. Okay. And it's called Deccan Loops, which is the area in which I come from. Uh, the white people call it Kamloops because they couldn't say Deccan Loops. Uh. And that's where the two rivers meet. Okay. So, do you want me to read that one?
1: We would love it.
0: Okay. Inside the brownless skin, sounds never die. A river alive swirls bone. Sidetgwa, the rapid rivers flow. Over membrane and within muscle, then lap at the tip of the tongue, telling the eyes, "Melbet guach, look at my reflection. Souls are at the edge of skins, stuttering old river songs, serenading the deaf, Owl dancing with the crippled, calling the impaired to limp backwards into the vortex. Inside the brown of skin, the mind never rests. River songs create new meaning. When the skin is drunk, the tongue wags dysfunction, for the throat is dry love. Suicide is lateral violence, puffing on a beaten-down chest, coiled in a fist of words that can never be taken back. Impaling another soul, and when the dirty work has been done, a crooked black smile shines victory, and the res thrives, the river surge. Inside the brown of skin, sounds never die. Beautiful. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Where is your book launch going to be, Gary Godfredson?
0: Uh My book launch is going to be in Kamloops at the Skelleb School of Excellence where I work. It's, a, it's a, a bicultural, bilingual school, and it's going to be uh, April the 16th, starting at 6 o'clock in the evening. And I'm trying to set some readings up in Vancouver, so um, i trying to find... Uh, a place where I can read down there and I'm working with the the poet uh, Joanne Arnott and we may do a joint reading together somewhere in Vancouver we can find a place down there
1: Oh, beautiful What a beautiful idea If there's anything I can do to help Why don't you give our listeners your contact information in case they want to bring you into their organization to do a lunch?
0: Sure I can be contacted at my work uh, which is the phone number is um, 250-828-9777 and my home phone is 250-573-4961 and my email is horserider underscore one at com. so if anybody's interested out there they can uh, contact me in either, either one of those ways
1: okay give it to us one more time
0: okay my work phone number is 250-828-9777. My home number is 250-573-4961. And my email is horse rider underscore one, number one, at Hotmail.com. You can get in touch with me at any one of those addresses.
1: Okay, one more question before I let you go. All righty. Before I let you off the hook. Uh If you were a representative for children and youth, what recommendation would you make?
0: If I was a... uh, um, Who's the recommendation
1: for? It's for for children and youth, for the government and to provide better services for First Nations and Aboriginal children and youth
0: have frontline people work in direct contact and have direct communication with the Aboriginal community. And I think that's so critical because a lot of times, uh, you know, governments create a bureaucracy and there's such a huge disconnect between what the government is doing with their policies and the implementation of policies and what's happening on the streets with our people.
1: Beautiful. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Gary Godforson, the author of Chaos Inside Thunderstorms. are going to go to Motherless Child on Co-op Radio 100.5 FM. Thank
0: you, Gennarji. You're welcome. Have a good day.
2: So far from my home i let our coats, a window close. Over the street, I prepare my case. As I stare into your face, for a moment. Stop calling. Such strange
3: strange, things.
4: Welcome to the Arts Report for April 16th, 2014. Tonight on the show, arts reporter Rohit Joseph is going to tell us about the hot new production, Proud, about our Prime Minister, Stephen Harper. Award-winning director Chelsea Haberlin will tell us about the exciting, site-specific production, Killer Joe. And actor-writer Daniel Arnold will fill us in on Mrs. Warren's Profession. everybody. Welcome to the Arts Report. I'm your host for tonight, Sarah Lapsley. We've got a packed show. So let's get started. Rohit is here with us tonight. Hey, hey, hey. Hi. Nice to have you in.
5: Yeah, and nice to be back as usual. Yeah.
4: (laughs) How's the end of the term going?
5: Uh, You know. The usual grind, the usual studying and not studying, then struggling with, like, trying to get the motivation to study, eventually studying for a bit, and then taking, like, a three-hour break because he just couldn't keep it up.
4: <laughs> so, it's, it must be getting towards the end of the exams.
5: Yeah. Well, for me, actually, my first exam is starting tomorrow. So, oh. So, I haven't even, like, got one done yet. So, that's why it's, like... uh it's not, it's not close to being over just yet. <laughs>
4: wow. So you took the time to go see the play and come into the arts report. It's like, I guess, a good <laughs> procrastination <laughs> I exercise. Figured,
5: <laughs> I figured it'd be better. I don't. I, I just not kid myself. Realized that I'd probably not be doing that much studying anyways. And then you told me about this play, which, you, as you pitched it, was a satire on Stephen Harper. And with that kind of pitch... Uh, it was hard to refuse. It was an offer I could not refuse.
4: Yay. A lot of people refuse my offers, but not <laughs> you. <laughs> so that's good. So you said it was the first time you'd been to the Fire Hall Arts Theater. Yeah. It's and,
5: nice. Oh, man. Yeah. Just being um, a first time, uh, attend- just the first time just seeing this building and, uh, and just remark. It's, so, it's so remarkable that they managed to convert this heritage building was for Vancouver. Uh, this is this is as old as it gets, you know. One of the oldest buildings we have; it's 108 years old, I believe. And um, they managed to convert it uh, from a fire hall into a theater about 37 years ago. And that that to me uh, was amazing, just that fact alone. And then when you walk in, and they managed to have kept the you know the interior pretty much intact and really well preserved, and uh, and just absolutely beautiful. So um, it it really Preserves a lot of that uh, historical look, and um, and it's just a really cool space. Once you enter it, you feel uh, you, you feel like a kind of magical sense of nostalgia, as if you as if you've entered into a different era of Vancouver's history.
4: Yeah, it's nice. Although, don't come late. They're very strict about Lake Hemmers.
5: Yeah. Not only that, uh, for this show there was uh, no intermission, oh. and. <laughs> And you know the thing is, like, there's a bar there, and this is this is the thing. This is a little bit of a paradox to me. You're offering drinks, and you know, I I, I could not refuse that. Yeah. And oh. I had some beers, and then I found myself regretting that
4: because you had to pee in the middle.
5: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but I didn't. I didn't. You can't go in and out. There's no in and out right. privilege. So. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, um, (laughs) sucked it up. So unless
4: you're having like a medical emergency, you could (laughs) not go out. Like what? (laughs) Yeah, I don't like this trend of no, no intermission. I've been, in fact, Almost all of the last productions I've been to have no intermission. And I mean, you're supposed to make an evening of it. Have a break. Yeah. Mingle a bit. Get a drink if you like. Use the bathroom. Kind of process what happened in the first part. Oh, my God. The phone's ringing. I oh. think I might be able to answer it. Okay. I might be able to answer it. Hold on.
5: <laughs> Excitement.
4: Hello. This is CITR. You're on the air. Is anybody there? hello no
5: nope. oh it's <laughs> like oh
4: it's like i've never been able to answer it before but that just happened <laughs> okay let's not get distracted let's talk about um proud, proud. Yeah. the play tell me all about it
5: all right so proud um is a play uh written by a playwright named uh, michael healy um I hadn't uh, known about Michael Healy before, but apparently he is a wa- very well-respected uh, playwright in Canada. And uh, just this production itself was hard for him to get off the ground because of the controversial nature of the play. So the fact that he managed to do this uh, was was remarkable. And um, I, was, I was actually very surprised that this play even got off the ground. But uh, in... Uh, Vancouver, the fire hall, actually requested it, uh, requested doing this play. The artistic producer Donna Spencer uh, had gone out of her way to actually get a copy of the script and uh, get the show on the road. And that's uh, how she got involved. She ended up becoming the director of the whole play. And then we've got a a very small cast in this play. You've literally got Stephen Harper himself as (laughs) played by... Andrew Wheeler as the Prime Minister. Uh, you got Craig Erickson, who's, who plays a guy named Carrie, who's basically the advisor to Harper. Emilia Gordon, uh, who plays a character named Gisbella. And uh, another uh, actor there is uh, Scott Button as the character Jake. So this is four people carrying this whole show. And mostly it's the, the three main characters, the Prime Minister, Carrie, and Gisbella, that are... Carrying the show for the for the majority, and I found that actually worked really well. It, it at first I thought this would be a big bigger ensemble because if you're dealing with Ottawa, uh, and and the the political life, you're gonna have to involve a lot more different characters. I would have thought, but instead it took a very micro view. It literally the whole play took place in Harper's office, <laughs> and the the set design, by the way, was is, was beautiful. It actually looks like uh, a presidential office uh, or a prime minister's office. So uh, they made that work very well. It was very intimate. Uh, the space of the fire hall theater is is limited, but uh, because you're so close to the to the actors and the stage itself, it makes you feel more immersed in the production. And uh, proud uh, starts off uh, by letting you know that this is uh shortly after taking place shortly after the 2011 federal election where Harper won his majority government uh one <laughs> and one uh, little liberty they take is uh that instead of the uh NDP winning most of the seats in Quebec uh the conservatives won even those seats so the conserv- conservatives made a really decisive victory um and the setup is that we get this uh new MP Play, who's Gisbella, uh, played by uh, Amelia Gordon, as I mentioned earlier? She's kind of the rebel uh, MP because she came in and she's basically not supposed to be there. It, essentially, it seems that she managed to slip under the system and become an MP because somebody didn't check where she was, uh, where, where, how she got nominated. Uh, she was apparently supposed to be in Canada at the time of her nomination and selection, but she wasn't. She managed to get in anyway. So as a result, Prime Minister Harper and his advisor Kerry have to somehow use her as as their tool. They end up playing a kind of Machiavellian political power play kind of uh, scheme. And they make her front an abortion bill that she doesn't actually really believe in. But it's a way to distract from other things like... And they'll actually mention real political events that happened in Canadian, uh, you know, in in the recent Canadian media, like uh, Harper's jets, you know, how he wanted to purchase some really expensive new fighter jets. They would actually mention that and then they would say that, uh, okay, Gisbella, you're going to get the abortion bill in focus today so that we can distract people from the whole jets debacle cuz they were going to cost more and they actually played with real events really well like that and of course this is speculative you know it's just it's just they try it's michael healy trying to kind of get the audience to see how political power plays might work how uh harper might be seeing things how he might be strategizing and i think that was very cool and it was very uh it, it was a bit caricaturized because the guy, Andrew Wheeler, he plays Harper like a complete robot. He does like the exact depiction that we we <laughs> have of Harper, which is just the complete old white guy square who just you know, even he, his body posture is like this, like hands uh, by his side all the time and just uptight. And he's constantly fiddling with his button, just little little subtle details he makes to ensure that this is this is the classic Harper that we <laughs> have come to know, but not necessarily love uh, over the years of our... Uh, <laughs> no, not necessarily. <laughs> not necessarily. But Andrew Wheeler uh, actually ends up playing a very, in a way, sympathetic Harper. By the end of the play, you end up feeling a bit more... Uh, sympathetic towards Harper because Michael Healy writes some uh, some interesting uh, monologue for uh, Harper's uh, the prime minister character and it's about Harper saying like I don't actually care about uh, the abortion issue I don't actually care about decriminalizing certain drugs or legalizing whether that happens I don't care what I really care about is shrinking the government and stuff like that where he actually has only a few core issues he cares about uh but he has to front these other things as just because that's part of the job and that's and it's part of what he has to do in order to get what he really wants to happen so i don't want to spoil too much because the play itself has a ton of surprises that you need to see at times it's just a comedic forest that almost looks more like a Uh, sitcom, almost like uh, The Office, but taking place in Harper's Office. You know, it's just like that. Or Aaron Sorkin's West Wing mixed in there as well. If you've never seen that show, by the way, it's a fantastic show about the U.S. uh, White House uh, and all the intriguing affairs that take place there. Um, So it's, it's partially a sitcom and just comedic farce but the show takes a drastic shift near the end uh proud becomes almost uh a political a strong political activist kind of play by the end of it uh where we get um a, a beautiful monologue from Scott Button as Jake Jake is a a character that's actually uh a, the son of Gisbella and you see him grow up and he makes this monologue at the end that's very powerful and very uh and very meaningful but like at the same time uh it hits on the core issues uh and it's not just an emotional ploy it's actually a very uh it's it's very relevant it's very very relevant to what we face as a country all the challenges that we face so my recommendation i i if you have if i had to rate proud um I would give it eight robocalls out of 10. <laughs> it's great. A, it's a pretty, pretty awesome play. Um, so far, I've been praising it a lot. So I'll, I'll say the only issues I had, maybe Jisbella's character was, uh, I think, a little bit one dimensional at times. Um, other than that, uh, I, I would say the play was a great uh, time and everybody should uh, come out and watch it and Uh, You know, maybe you'll learn a bit more about Canadian politics while you're at it, because otherwise, let's face it, a lot of us don't tend to pay too much attention unless there's an issue that strikes us.
4: Yeah, that's true. Wow. Well, I'm glad you went. I'm glad you liked it. And you gave us like a really thorough um, view of it. I'm just we're going to get Chelsea Haberlin on the line. So we have to wrap up, but I was amusing myself um, listening because, and I was just telling you, Rohit, that Stephen Harper loves to sing and he will sing at any public occasion he, prob- he that he can and he plays with a band called um, the, the Her- Herring Bones and he's truly awful and just like you <laughs> said, it, he's very wooden. He has yeah. like the lamest rock moves and he wears these kind of comfy old man shoes Um, But, you know, I was just thinking if he had become a rock star, maybe we wouldn't have all of these (laughs) problems that we do in our country, like dismantling environmental protections and science efforts and so on, because his true calling really is as a rock star. But unfortunately, (laughs) he didn't really have what it takes and ended up in (laughs) politics instead. So I thought I'd play a fun one. This is our Canadian Prime Minister, Steve. Stephen Harper singing The Seeker by The Who. And he the show that's about him that Rohit just talked about is called Proud. It's running April 5th to April 26th, the Firehall Arts Center. So you can check that out at firehallartscenter.ca. Oh,
5: one note I'll make, if you're going to see the show anytime, uh, a best time would be Wednesday because you can pay what you want. It's oh, pay by donations. Nice. So, uh, that might be a good time if you're feeling a little money strapped.
4: Okay, great. Thanks a lot, Rohit. Good to see you. Good luck on those exams. Thank you. Okay, Stephen Harper doing The Who. We'll be right back on CITR 101.9 FM. That's our Prime Minister, Stephen Harper, singing. who's a seeker. And I have to say, I've I've grown a little bit fond of it over the course of the day as I've listened to it. But it's time to move on from that. Goodbye, Stephen Harper. Please actually do say goodbye to our country in an election if we ever should have one again. Now, I am going to talk about a production called Killer Joe. And I've got the director, Chelsea, on the line. Let's see if she can hear me. Hello, Chelsea. Hello. Yay! (laughs) So you're out and about in the city I am. Good. So, um, you're the co-artistic director of It's a Zoo Productions. Yes, and that's you, right. And you've worked on quite a few productions, like, you know, over the years.
6: Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, we've been we've been doing shows since we uh, founded the company in
4: 2006. And uh, did you win an award at the Jesses? I was there maybe last year.
6: Yeah, I did. I won the Ray Michael Award for uh, Most promising Emerging Director.
4: Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, that was pretty exciting. Yeah, so tell us about this one that you're doing right now, Killer Joe. Sure. Uh, so Killer Joe is the first play by
6: Tracy Letts, the playwright who went on to write Bug in August Osage County. And um, so, yeah, he wrote this play in the early 90s, and it's set in a trailer park in So we have actually constructed uh, a trailer park in uh, a parking lot at the Italian Cultural Center. So the audience arrives, and they're in the trailer park, and then they walk into a trailer where the Smith family lives, and then we watch the story of the family.
4: Wow, so we're really a part of it.
6: Yeah, it's very immersive. It's a real fly-on-the-wall experience. You're, You're very close to the action. It's close proximity.
4: So what if it rains, then?
6: Yeah, well, the actual play happens in a trailer, so you're inside, and like it's raining right now, and we have a show in a couple hours, we have some tents up, and some tarps, and so at intermission, and before the show, you can stand there, and have your drink, and your hot dog, and then during the show, you go into the trailer.
4: Oh, that sounds really exciting. Now, it says it it contains smoke, violence, nudity, coarse language, and simulated sex. Yep, all that. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's a whole lot <laughs> So tell me about the plot a little bit Sure, so it's the story of the Smith
6: family Like I said, and the son, Chris Needs to make some money fast He owes some people some cash And the way that he decides to make money Is by hiring a contract killer To kill his uh, mother <laughs> And um, when and that's Killer Joe And when Killer Joe comes into the family Things don't go quite as expensive everything
4: goes awry. Wow. And we're right close to the action.
6: Yeah. Yeah. Right. You're right. You're right in there and you watch things go wrong.
4: So what was it like for you? Like, how did you get involved? And then what was it like to direct something like this where there's no barrier really between the audience?
6: Yeah. This is the kind of theater that I love to do. So I've done a lot of shows like this. with very close proximity. A lot of the plays that we do our promenade plays, which means you move through space. So we've done a lot of plays where people move with the actors in with the audience. And so I'm, I'm really into that. So I've done a lot of those shows. I'm actually more comfortable directing those shows than I am directing shows where there's a very clear, clean barrier between the audience and the action. Those don't, those are more performative and those don't feel as comfortable for me as an artist. Um, so with this show, we actually, I actually came up with the idea of staging it in a trailer. So, um, so when I, you know, I, I, I proposed that challenge for myself, and then I had to do it. Um, so that is the idea. And then uh, it was the main challenge for us in staging a show that was such close proximity was safety, because it um, is a lot of fighting in the play and like, and, like I said, a lot of nudity and sexual content. And so it, it if it's too close to the audience, it, it could potentially be dangerous. So we brought in a fight choreographer and spent a lot of time working on all the fights and a lot of time working on the blocking so that we could be sure that it felt kind of exciting and kind of dangerous so that it was actually very safe.
4: Wow. And how are people reacting so far?
6: Well, we had our first audience last night. And the response was very positive. People um, jumped back and, and kind of gasped at moments, and uh, the, the reaction was very um, was very strong. So I was happy to
4: hear that. Nice. So tell me a little bit about being a director. What drew you into the work of directing? You did your master's here at UBC.
6: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I got my uh, Bachelor of Fine Arts at UVic uh, in directing and applied theater uh, in... Um, I think I graduated in 2007, and, um, and then I moved to Vancouver and uh, moved to the company at the zoo here, and uh, then when we arrived here, uh, I realized that uh, in order to kind of move ahead in my career and in this city that I needed to get more education, so I went back to UBC. Um, I've kind of always... Been a director. Since I was a little kid, I've been directing plays. If you ever came over to my house, you were ushered down into the basement and I would put you in a costume and we would create a play together. My parents had to watch endless, endless productions when I was little. So I just kind of kept that going through my life and, um, and uh, still love it as much as I did when I first started.
4: Well, that's really interesting how it was sort of always in you.
6: Yeah, it was. It just kind of always made sense. There's something about about my personality, that just kind, and of the things that excite me, that kind of works with this job. It just feels very natural to me. It's always felt really organic. It felt like the the right thing to do, and um, and I've worked really hard at it over the years. So, um, you know, those two things combined turned into a nice career.
4: Wow! And so, like, I don't know much about theater, but what does a director do? I'm sure you do a lot of things, but what's your main focus when you're putting together a production like this?
6: Yeah, it's it's um primary primarily large vision so uh, I choose the people that I want to be involved in the production so I choose the designers that I think have the right aesthetic for the show and the right skills to build the, the show the way we need them to um, like for example for this show I chose two very detail-oriented designers designers who would be able to very concretely build the world of the play in a way where you could get really close to it and still feel like it was real um, so it's not, it's not stylized. It's actually quite real. So I chose those designers. I also ch- uh, did all the casting. So I chose the um, actors that I thought were right for the show. And then once I have those people in place, I sculpt the play. So I you know, figure out what the transitions are going to look like and figure out is it going to be comedic. Like, for example, with this play, it's quite a dark play. But I decided that um, it was just going to be dark no matter what we did because the content was dark. But that as a team, we needed to focus on finding the heart and the humor and the real genuine relationships between the characters. And we made that the focus. So that's the kind of choice that I make. And then everyone in the production kind of follows that as a through Now I'm, I'm a synthesizer of ideas. I take everyone's collected ideas and I kind of break them down into something that's concrete and that the audience can hold on to. So that's sort of it. The person on the outside with a big vision who kind of ties it all together.
4: Wow, that sounds like a great job. And and so once Killer Joe is over in the beginning of May, what's next for you at, over the summer?
6: Uh, my next show is at Pacific Theater. I'm doing a show called Gruesome Playground Injuries. In July, so that'll be that'll be next for me, and then I'm uh, then I'm in August doing another show called Mister Marmalade, and that's going to be at the Gabriela Theatre Festival, and probably at Little Mountain in Vancouver. So a couple of other shows coming up that are kind of like this one, a lot of a lot of really great characters and some really messed up situations. <laughs>
4: Wow. Well, thanks. I'm going to see it April 22nd. So I'm oh, really excited. Great and great actually, I time. have a friend that's going tomorrow night. So um, yeah, we're going to talk about it next week as well on the show.
6: Wonderful. That's great.
4: Yeah. So well, it was great talking to you and good luck out there in the rain. Thanks a lot. Okay. See you soon. Okay. Take care, Chelsea. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Well, we were lucky to have Chelsea Haberlin on talking about Killer Joe. So as she said, it's by Tracy Letts, a playwright who also did that one. Um, oh, Sanj, August County, you know, with Meryl Streep and the big... Collective of actors. Uh, so it's the Vancouver premiere um, and it says Sex, Blood, and Comedy served up with a side of grit. So it started last night, or April 15th, and goes through to May 4th. It shows our Tuesday and Sunday, Tuesday through Sunday. The location is at the Italian Cultural Center, 3075 Slocan Street, and it's in the big parking lot out front. Uh, $20 for students and seniors and 25 dollars for everyone else so warning the best kind of warning this production contains smoke violence nudity coarse language and simulated sex so it's a show for adults leave the kids at home uh cash only for tickets at the door and concession and bar you can only uh, they can only have 37 people per night and so you're going into the trailers it's set in a trailer park You're going into the trailers, as she said, to watch the action. And there's two-for-one performances, April 15th, 16th, and 22nd. So it's featuring uh, actors Sebastian Archibald, Ted Cole, Megan Chinovsky, Emma Slip, and Colby Wilson. So you can find more out about that at itsazoo.org. So that's really cool. And I thought I might play a fun song. Now I've played this song before, but I like it so much. And it's also about a killer, because in the play, Killer Joe, it's about a family that hires a killer um, to claim insurance money. And this is a punk rock song that I like to play. It's about another killer called Gary Gilmore, and he was a serial killer who was sentenced to death, and on the eve of his execution, or his final request was that his corneas be donated, so someone... An unknown recipient received Gary Gilmore's corneas after his execution and the adverts, a cool English punk band, wrote a song about it. So I'm just going to play that Gary Gilmore's eyes and we'll be back in a few minutes to talk about Mrs. Warren's profession.
7: The bandages are whistling in the light The nurse is looking at us and she's quivering with fright i sure. CITR and get great discounts in the main
8: street area at Antisocial Skateboard Shop Devil May Wear Lucky's Comics Neptune Records Rx Comics Red Cat Records The Regional Assembly of Text The Rumpus Room The Wallflower Modern Diner And Woo Vintage Clothing
7: Wow, it sure does pay to be a friend of CITR Find out more, visit us in room 233 of the sub on the UBC campus. Go online to www.citr.ca. Keep
2: smiling, keep shining, knowing you can always count on me.
5: DOXA Documentary Film Festival discovers new forms of nonfiction film. Everything from mountain gorillas to cartoon ponies and the men who love them. With a special spotlight program, Secrets and Lies, that examines the art of deception. The festival is happening May 2nd to 11th. For more information, go to www.doxafestival.ca.
4: Hi, we're back on CITR 101.9 FM. I'm your host for tonight, Sarah Lapsley. Yeah, thanks, Rohit for going to see Proud. Thanks, Chelsea, for talking about Killer Joe. So there's a few things I wanted to tell you about. One is Space Baby, and I meant to get Katherine Faulkner in here. It's her show. Um, and it's April 17th, 18th, and 19th at the Toast Collective, which is a really cool space at 648 Kingsway. The show's at 8 p.m., And Catherine's a comedian. She's been around for a long time. It's a one-woman show with music and media. And I remember working with her in the 90s. We were in a fringe play. And she is really hilarious. So, um, yeah, it's really going to be worth seeing Her show, she had her first break in her 20s um, when she was doing sketch comedy, wrote her own characters and scenes. She went back to get her theater degree at SFU. And she's just really campy and fun. And she says one of her inspirations for Space Baby was a scene from Songs from the Second Floor, a Swedish film written and directed by Roy Anderson. So she says it's deadpan surreal and dark. And one particular scene jumped out at her, an airport check-in where people are trying to get out of town and they have luggage carriers that they can't move and full of suitcases and items that are stacked so high above their heads. And so she said the whole scene for her was about the struggle of life and if you want to get out of the rat race... um, you know, there's kind of failure and no end, you might not reach your goal. And, you know, so she found this scene in the airport very stressful and bleak, but funny in an absurd kind of way, an absurd kind of way. So she wrote about that in Space Baby. And uh, she says, you know, she hopes people will laugh and feel a bit uncomfortable. But anyway, she's a great comedian. And I know it's going to be really interesting. And it's in collaboration with Elsie Cheadle, Flick Harrison, who's a great filmmaker, and Elliot Vaughn. So tickets are $10 or $15 at the door at the Toast Collective. And also a reminder about Nerd Night. So last week I had a couple girls on, Nicole Ballston uh, and another girl. And we were talking about Nerd Night and the seedy side of plants, Plants Having Sex, And they were truly nerdy. They were truly nerdy about what the one was studying pathogens or parasites. And um, so I'm glad they started Nerd Night Vancouver. It's actually tonight at Cafe du Soleil. $5 at the door where you can meet nerds and listen to them talk about stuff. And I definitely want to put something together. Pitch them on a Nerd Night event. Like maybe about psychopaths or something what else is happening? Actually, this is interesting to me. Dali. Now, let's see if I where I've got it. Dali exhibit. You know Salvador Dali? He's an artist. Um, you know, he's one of the big master artists of the 20th century. But, and you don't sort of expect to see him around, but it's actually kind of a weird gallery that nobody's ever heard of. Um... It says, you've seen his paintings of dripping clocks and surreal dreamscapes, but he's actually done a series of original bronze sculptures, and they're on display now, the Definitely Dali exhibit. And you can see that through May 12th at the Chali Rosso Art Gallery on South Granville Street. So it features 10 sculptures. Um, And I guess it says... The sculptures are kind of similar to his paintings. I call them familiar painterly tropes in three dimensions. So dripping clocks, things hanging from branches of trees. Another sculpture consists of a giant snail with wings, and a piano with can can dancer legs. I don't know about that. So they're probably for sale, actually. Uh, well maybe not. It says the collection at the gallery represents ten of twenty-nine sculptures in the Dali sculptural collection. All were made using an ancient technique known as the Lost Wax Process, which gave Dolly the flexibility to mold his subjects into unconventional shapes. Um, so they're they're not necessarily one-of-a-kind pieces. Some of them were part of a limited edition, but um, they were all made by him. The original cast was broken, and the sculptures never re- reproduced again. So one of the undisputed masters of surrealism, Spanish-born Dali. So if you're on South Granville shopping or having a coffee, then maybe just stop by this gallery, the Chali Rosso Art Gallery, and check out the sculptures. It'd be cool to see. And it's funny because, like, you you know, you always think, oh, you have to go to a big museum to see pieces like this. But I remember being in Miami, just like in a weird kind of souvenir shop, like kind of a high-end souvenir shop, looking around at prints, you know, tacky kind of prints or posters, And I was like, whoa, There's some framed ones. And then I was like, oh, that looks really beautiful. And then I was like, oh, my God, that's like a, you know, an original Dali. Or was the other one? Uh, Another famous painter. And, you know, they're like $5,000. But they're still, you know, within reach uh, in terms of, like, being able to buy, you know, really amazing art. So check that out. And just in a few minutes, we're going to talk to Daniel Arnold about Mrs. Warren's profession. So there's been quite a bit of buzz about this, and it's coming up at the Rickshaw Theater. So Mrs. Warren's profession was a play uh, that's centered, is a play by George Bernard Shaw written in 1893. And I like him because we share the same birthday, George Bernard Shaw, Mick Jagger, uh, me, a few other people that are good. And so it centers on a relationship between Mrs. Kitty Warren, a brothel owner, and her daughter Vivi, an intelligent and pragmatic young woman who has just graduated from college and comes home to get acquainted with her mother for the first time. So it focuses on their relationships to each other and the social hypocrisies relating to prostitutions and, sadly, the limited opportunities available for women in Victorian Britain. Uh, So, yeah, I think it's, it looks like a really interesting play, like kind of old school, lots of characters, rich dialogue, um, maybe some humor. But what they've done with the Vancouver production is, is um, set it in the downtown east side. So I think they're trying, and maybe Daniel can shed some light on this when we call him in a few minutes, trying to shed some light on... Um, the circumstances of the downtown east side and people like all the prostitution that goes on down there. So they've set it at the rickshaw theater and and hope to kind of draw in modern day, I guess. And money from every ticket sale will be donated directly to the Wish Drop-In Center Society and the Pace Society. So it says, yeah, written by Nobel Prize winning George Bernard Shaw, it was originally banned for its controversial subject matter. And it says the Alley Theater, that's a production company, invites you to experience the postmodern world of this 120 year old story through immersive staging and live music. So I'll have to ask about what that means, but I think it's kind of a trend, this, you know, getting people involved somehow in the production more than typically, you know, an audience might and live music at the historic and hip rickshaw theater so yeah it's april 22nd to the 27th so kind of a limited run and they have this interactive website mrs www.mrswarens.ca um so it's i've gone to that interactive website and and struggled with the interactiveness of it um because it was like you you click on things and it tells you a little story but i found it confusing but that's just me i'm kind of old school but why don't we go to a couple of public service announcements and then we'll be right back with daniel arnold so stay tuned
8: hi there my name is brandon
4: and my name is Mormon.
8: do you need help finding yourself
7: do you have questions you're too afraid to ask?
8: Worry no more.
7: we got your back. Because, because we are two university students who have all the answers.
5: Uh, just kidding.
8: We'd like to think that.
7: But what you can do is tune into All Ears at 101.9 FM every second Wednesday at 6 p.m.
8: To get the best advice that we can offer. So shoot us an
7: anonymous question
8: at ask.fm slash all ears UBC and we'll answer it live on air. And,
3: and
9: Honey Child will be all ears. UBC's Museum of Anthropology displays long term and visiting exhibits of Indigenous art from around the world, and guided tours are free. Our permanent collection features one of the world's finest exhibits of Northwest Coast First Nations art. Our collection includes 36,000 ethnographic pieces, 535,000 archaeological pieces, and over 600 pieces in the Kroner Ceramics Gallery. There's a lot to take in. Luckily at the Museum of Anthropology, final exams are always take home. If you've never checked out this world-class facility, now's your chance. Museum of Anthropology is located right on campus and free for all UBC students and faculty.
7: Come enjoy our collection and resources. Did you do really well in a first or second year course? Want to make a difference in the UBC community and school communities around the world? Join Students Offering Support or SOS and become a tutor today. Math, accounting, economics, psychology, engineering courses, French and Spanish, statistics, and more. If you aced it, Students Offering Support wants you to help other students ace it too. Check
4: out ubcstudentsofferingsupport.com for more information. Hi, we're back on CITR one hundred one point nine FM. This is the Arts Report, and I'm here with Daniel Arnold and Marissa. Is that right?
8: Yes, uh, Marissa Smith.
4: Hi, how are you? Doing well. Good.
8: Thank
4: you. So you're on speakerphone with me. Mm-hmm, yeah. And so the the production starts in a week or so. Is that right?
9: Yeah, one week yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've got our
8: first preview next tuesday april 22nd and then uh opening night official opening night
9: uh, wednesday the 23rd yeah
4: oh good so tell me well why don't you tell me a little bit about yourselves and then we can get into talking about the play
9: um okay well um marissa's talking (laughs) um and uh i am the artistic producer of alley theater um and uh, i've been working with alley theater for uh, five years and uh, we do um like specific theater um, we have done shows in theaters as well but we've done you know a lot of, of shows where we've, we''ve gone to unconventional spaces and and, uh, and and told the stories in their in their kind of live settings. Um, we've done a show um, called Tape that was in, the, in a hotel room um, and uh, a show called wicked shorts that was in, in a little cafe um, so that's something that we bring to this project as well um, with, the, with staging it at the rickshaw and kind of in unconventional
8: way. What yeah, I'm, I'm Daniel Arnold and I'm a co-producer of Mrs. Warren's profession and I'm also an actor in the play.
4: Oh good can you guys maybe like I'm just sort of you're going quiet and then loud so if you could keep an equal distance from the phone.
3: Sure. Okay
4: yeah, yeah so and tell me about how it's site-specific you said Marissa.
9: Um, well, the play, I should probably explain what the play is about first, maybe, because usually that's the inspiration for where we stage it. So, the can you hear me? Yep, that's good. Okay, good. <laughs> um, the play is about um, a mother and daughter, and it's about um, a young woman who's been raised in boarding schools and, and uh, in, university educated. And then um, she um, is reunited with her mom after being a bit estranged and finds out that uh, her privileged lifestyle um, was, you know, was happened because of um, her mother's uh, sex work, um, and so there's a lot of talk in the play about what it means to be a sex worker and and how, why women uh, might enter sex work, and, and and what it is to be
8: a, a a working woman, whether it's in kind of in any profession. Her daughter is. Modern young woman who wanted to um, wants to be a, a, a professional, like a woman. not mathematician.
9: But okay. okay, mathematician. Yeah. Anyways, so so basically, <clears throat> I read the play when I was working at a at a shelter in the downtown east side, and um, and it just struck me how how current it still felt. A lot of the stuff that Shaw was talking about, and a lot of the, the speeches that happen in the play, just seemed. You know, to to really hit home in terms of the stories that I was hearing from the women that I was I was uh, working with at at the time, um, and so that what what drew me to stage it um, in the downtown side in a venue, and then we found the rickshaw um, and got inside there and thought, oh, this is a really neat space, and we can use you know we can use the theater seat as part of the stage, and maybe we can use um, you know we can we can maybe. The, the audience around the space and, and have like there's four different acts to play, like four different settings. So for each setting we're going to use the space in a slightly different way.
4: Okay, and then you decided the money would go to some charities, is that right?
9: Yeah, so um, $3 from every ticket is going to um, two organizations, um, Pace Society and Wish Drop-In Center. And those two organizations are um, are nonprofits that um, support such um, workers in the downtown east side. And, so, and it, we've been um, in touch with them for the past two years, actually, when we did our first uh, public reading of the play. They came and watched and, and were part of a panel discussion afterwards. Um, and they, they really have a lot to say about you know, how relevant the play was to them. Um, and so that, that was one of my driving forces in, in actually putting this into a full production. You know, but coming from my own background, I thought, "Oh, yeah, this this seems relevant to me." But when they started saying, "No, it's a shame how relevant this play really is," um, I thought, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna raise the money, and we're gonna we're gonna put it on in the downtown east side, and we're gonna make it a benefit um, for these organizations and and help the community um, connect with the subject matter in a really meaningful way."
4: So what do you think the message was that Shaw wanted to convey in his time, and then how do you see that message now? Um,
9: Well, I guess in his time, um, women were being, you know, they were quite marginalized uh, through laws and through economics. Um, They were only allowed to make a certain wage, and they were limited in terms of um, marrying. And if they were unmarried, then they were basically put into the workhouses. Or on the street, and um, sex work at the time was a viable option for them—a way out, in a sense, from, from basically slavery. Um, and so, so I think. Sorry, I'm getting a bit of feedback. Are you still hearing me?
4: Yeah, I'm still hearing you. Okay, <laughs>
9: good, good. Um, and so, you know, I think in terms of wh- how how women were marginalized at, at that time, and and that. Because of them being marginalized, they were they were entering prostitution out of survival. Um, I think that's something that still resonates today, especially in the downtown east side. Um, but there's also an argument in the in the play that counters that, which is quite interesting. It, it doesn't give you a right or wrong. And what that what that argument is that is that, um, is sex work wrong in general, and 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 what if sex work is looked at as as a, a viable um, uh, occupation or profession, um, and so he kind of counters and, and 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 makes it not necessarily a black and white issue. And I think that that's something that we're grappling with right now with the the the, uh, the laws that were just recently struck down. Um, and now now they're trying to decide, oh, what's the next method of laws that we're going to use to to regulate or criminalize um, sex work. And I think it's a it's a huge issue, right? Like it it really comes down to um, how do we feel about sex work?
4: Yeah. Wow, well, that's great. So, Daniel, why don't we talk to you a little bit about your character?
9: Sure.
4: You're playing. Is it Frank in the in the play?
8: Yeah. Yeah. I'm the young love interest to the daughter in the play. Um, and uh, I, uh, interestingly enough, at one of the at the reading that we did a couple years ago in uh, for International Women's Day, um. Uh, Someone even in the audience said, "Well, I, I think that character is the real ho, <laughs> <laughs>
3: um,
8: because you you essentially learn that he's um, he, he he's in it. He, he's basically in it for the money. He's in it for the daughter's money. He might not actually love the girl. Gold and, yeah, he's a bit of a gold digger. Um, yeah, but he's this sort of um, uh, young young punk, and he's um, uh, he he kind of." he's part of the younger set and the younger crowd. Vivi is the daughter's name and she is, um, she's kind of bucking the system in a way she's creating this new world, this new woman, this new modern world. And I think, uh, Frank is, 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 um, half intrigued and, and, uh, interested in that, but but also, also very, um, half going like, well, what, what, what is this? Like women aren't supposed to do this. you know, um, so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with it, for sure.
4: Wow, that's great. Well, it sounds like a really exciting play, and then you have the interactive website as well.
8: Yeah, yeah. Um, we got a, a bit of funding. I think I think the the content of this play and Marissa's vision for it is really um, is really is really strong uh, and really fresh um, and exciting. And so um, she's kind of taking this like you know famous but old play and making it really accessible and exciting and uh and we wanted some way to um to bring that uh, into into more of the modern world you know we're all on our phones we're all on our on websites this uh social media that and we wanted some way for this like live play to have a presence online in a way and um uh, and also to uh to make some documentaries that reflect the the modern relevance of it basically um and so um we got a bit of funding to to do that to make this really neat um a website called mrs Warren's. is that mrs Warren's dot C-A, uh m-r-s-w-a-r-r-e-n-s.ca um and it's interactive uh it's like this kind of 200 degree street view and you can click on different icons and see or hear different um documentaries uh, one of them is um a documentary of an uh, interview with a sex worker one of them is a profile on wish and pace another one is a promo video for the show itself um, yeah so it, it's uh, people have been the response to it's been really uh, really neat to hear what
4: people are. Wow well there's a lot of buzz about it and it sounds like a lot of work went into it but the oh. co-
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah
4: but the cause is so good and I know it's going to be a really successful run well, thanks for talking to me today.
8: Okay, uh, and, to, and everyone has the, big, you know, the details and the time and place and all that, and where to get
9: tickets and all that?
4: Yeah, I'm just going to announce that I've got it right up here.
9: Great. great. Good. I should just add, too, that <clears throat> we've got three lovely musicians working with us as well. Shanta um, Wacharia, um, Meredith Bates, and Elisa Thorne. And, uh, and, and they're, just, they're all classically trained musicians that, that, that do put a modern spin on classical music. And that's something that we're toying with in the production, the old and the new, all that mm. stuff. Um, and they're just, it's just a gift to have them as part of the, the show. And, and it also is a little nod to the rickshaw. Um, I met Shanto through through the rickshaw. Um, and it, it, it's really neat to have them in the space.
4: Great. Yeah,
8: the, the rickshaw, of course, is a punk rock venue that we're using as a theater.
4: Yeah. Right on. That's great. Well, thanks um, and good luck. And I hope to see the show. All right. Okay, thank, uh, you thank you very much. You so much. Okay. Thanks. You, thank you. That was Daniel Arnold and Marissa Smith talking about the upcoming Mrs. Warren's profession. Uh, George Bernard Shaw wrote that play. It's April 22nd to the 27th at the Rickshaw Theatre, two for one preview, April 22nd at 8 pm. And you can go to www.mrswarren's.ca for more details. Now, we have to wrap up. There's a new show on at 6 p.m. every other week. It's called All Ears. So they're going to get started. But come back next week to the Arts Report on the 23rd of April. I'm going to go see Killer Joe. Uh, and let you know what it's all about. Poet Diane Rucker will be here to talk about her new book, Bonsai Love, and much more. I will be away in Halifax on the 30th, so we're going to have a fill-in on that date. But definitely stay tuned for All Ears. It's coming up next at 6 o'clock. Now, ACDC broke up. Malcolm Young had a stroke, so the band is calling it quits after 30 years. So I'm going to play a song by AC/DC. I don't think it's a hit, but I'm sending it out to my friends on the Inside this is called Jailbreak, and you've been listening to The Arts Report on CITR 101.9FM. Stay tuned.
7: There was a friend of mine on murder, and the judge's gavel fell. The
2: jury found him guilty, Even.